just put in to, uh, to, to um, just bringing us to the throne room. And I really appreciate you guys doing that. Um, if, you, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I'm just curious, um, hold up your Bible really quick. Just take your Bible out and hold it up. Man, that's awesome. Some of you holding up your phones, that's okay. I get it. You have an app on your phone, I understand. You got a phone too. Good job, good job. Um, you know, two weeks ago, I was asked to, uh, well, I was asked longer than that, but two weeks ago, I was preparing for the talk that I'm going to be giving at the upcoming walk in October. And uh, one of the things that, um, that, I, that I've been doing is going back through my story. And I've shared this with you before, probably most of you have heard the story. I'm not going to share the whole story, but, um, but how I came, became a Christian was through this Bible right here. Um, I was 14 years old, and I was living with my great-grandmother, and uh, we were poor. We didn't have any money, and so one of the things that we used to do is we would go to this little thrift store down on the end of the street every weekend, and we would get in there, and we would dig out stuff that we could sell in yard sales over the weekend. And one night I was in there, and I moved this bag of trash, and, and this Bible right here, now, it don't look the same. I've actually put another cover on it since I've had it. But, um, but it was just an old King James Bible, you know, that somebody didn't want anymore, and they tossed it in the trash. And I didn't really want to follow God. I didn't have any interest in being a Christian. I knew he was real. My great-grandmother had taught me that much. But she had given me just enough respect for God to not want to leave a Bible laying in a dumpster. And so I picked it up, and I took it home, and I... A joke, sometimes I do, but any good Christian does, put it on the shelf, ignore it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, it's a bad joke, it's a bad joke. But that's what happened. I put it on the shelf and I, I ignored it for a while. And then uh, that year, my great-grandmother had a stroke. And, you know, when you have life crises, things change in the way you perceive things. And uh, that was the time when I realized that that faith that my great-grandmother had labored so hard to try to put inside of me was... Uh, now needing to be active. And so that was the circumstances that led to me walking over to, uh, to that, that shelf and pulling that Bible off and start reading it. And, and I've said this so many times that when you honestly read the Bible, regardless of what you know or don't know in God's Word, but if you honestly read the Bible, the Bible will begin to honestly read you. And it started changing my life. And, and I, 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 it's like a big blur now. I'm 44 years old. Four, 14 seems like a whole other life ago. But here I am. I'm standing here um, before you in West Texas all because I found that Bible in that dumpster that day. And the Word of God. I don't, I don't need a clap. He does. But, but listen, I appreciate it. But, but listen, it, the Word of God is powerful. It's very powerful. And it blows my mind after 20 some odd years of ministry how amazing it is how the Word of God can so transform a person's life. I can't tell you, people we found literally on the streets, completely on drugs, completely, you know, just their life is a mess and they're going to, to hell in a handbasket by their own admission because of the way that they're living their lives. And you share the Word of God with that person. Doesn't have to be a lot, don't have to be a whole Bible class, but you share the word of God with that person and something begins to change. And I've seen people 10, 15 years later on down the road and, and they're in their right mind. They've got their family together, they've got their life together. But that this goes to show that there is an incredible 
power in the Word of God. Now, I realize that the Word of God is not always easy to understand. I've had people say in the past, well, the Bible's easy. No, it's not. The Bible's all levels of reading, you know? I remember when I first picked up the Bible and I was reading the Gospels, somebody said start in the New Testament, so I did. And so I read Matthew and Mark. By the time I got to Luke, I was frustrated at the Bible. I threw it down and I said, that's ridiculous, man. Whoever this author is, do they not realize they're repeating the same story over and over and over again? Somebody needs to seriously do an editing job on this book. That's, that was my attitude. I had no idea. It was four different accounts of the life of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. It does not matter what you know or what you don't know or what you think you know. Reading the Word of God has a, a powerful effect on your life. And so I encourage you. I've, I've had people so many times over the years as Christians, and I'm not disparaging anybody who says this because I guarantee you there's people in this room that feel the same way, but in my entire life I had people come to me who were Christians, who've been Christians for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and like, Tim, I just don't really... I love hearing sermons, I love classes, but I just don't understand the Bible when I read it. It's just hard for me to understand the Bible. Well, I understand that. There are some things in the Bible that are so simple to understand, and there's other things like we're doing on um, our Bible class right now. You know, we're studying the book of Daniel. That's deep stuff. That's not, that's not elementary school, you know, education in the Bible. That's deep stuff. That's what the book of Hebrews calls meat, is looking at the types and the shadows and the prophecy, Right? So there's some things that are easier, some things that are not as easy. And, um, but over the years, I asked questions, you know, and, and uh, I started, you know, reading my Bible. I would write down things I didn't understand, and I would get with people who were more wise and more mature than me, and I would ask those questions. And then over time, little by little, here, there, here and there, what's the verse? Here, little, there, little, line by line, precept upon precept, I started having a, a grasp of these things, started getting a better understanding of the Scriptures. And so the more I studied the Bible with myself and with other people, the more I learned. All throughout my earlier years, people gave me a foundation because there is a way to read the Bible. Does that make sense? You don't necessarily just pick it up and start reading and understand everything you're going to read. There is a, a framework of things that help you understand how to read the Bible. So uh, a couple things. That's not really my focus on the sermon for this morning, but I got a couple handouts. Could I get two volunteers to come up and hand out these handouts? I've got one that I've made. Um, thank you, Luke. I got one on how to study the Bible. And basically, it's just all the things that I've learned over the years on how to have a Bible study. And these are just little tips and tricks that I've learned over the years about how to sit down with the Word of God and how to understand it. So I'm going to pass out one of those to you this morning. And then I've also got another one that's uh, passed out to you as well that I've given out before, but I think it'll help you with what we're going to be talking about this morning. Um, it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it penetrates even to the dividing of soul and joints, or soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I bring up that that text this morning because one of the main things that we're going to be talking about as we get back into John chapters 13 through 17 we're going through this section of scripture in John where he's talking to us about the promise of the Holy Spirit 
and the new covenant that you and I get to be a part of because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And so every week now for the last three weeks, we've been reaching into that gift box of the promise of the Holy Spirit, and we've been pulling out a lot of new things that have to do with our walk with God. Um, So far over the last few weeks, we've uh, looked at a new commandment, love others as I have loved you. We've looked at a new relationship with God because not only does he go and prepare a place for us so that when we die, we get to be with him, but in the meantime, he comes and makes a home inside of us and we can have a relationship with him now in preparation for the one to come later. Uh, A new day, which all these things begin on the day of Pentecost and a new prayer life where when we pray according to the will of God, according to the mission of God, we get to join Jesus in his work on the earth, and he says that he will answer those prayers. He will absolutely answer those types of prayers. This morning, we're going to be adding a new thing, another new thing, and we're going to be focusing on two more texts, two more, or excuse me, one more new thing that comes as a result of having the Spirit live inside of us, and that's number five this morning, a new teacher a new teacher. I want you to read with me, if you would, these two texts, John 14, verse 26, and then also John 16, 12 through 15. I'm going to have them up on the screen here so you can read it with me. Here's the first one. John 14, 26 says this, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will, underline this if you want to in your Bibles, teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have said to you. Now, what I want to do is I'm going to go ahead and put your finger on that passage. We're going to flip over to the next passage that deals with the same subject. John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. We're going to read that passage, and then I want us to take a step back and look at the whole picture of what these two verses are trying to tell us about our new teacher. Okay, let's read it together. John chapter 16, 12 through 15. He says, I've had, Jesus says, I've got a lot more to say to you, more than you can bear now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, here it is, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the father is mine And that's why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So you see the picture, right? It's going to come from the Father. It's been given to the Son. The Son is going to give it to the Spirit who lives inside of you so that you can then understand what the Son wants you to know. Does that make sense? He's going to be your teacher. Now, when you take these two passages together side by side, you see that one of the main roles of the Holy Spirit is to come into your life to help this be made known to you, to teach you what God's Word actually says and to apply God's Word to your life. That is one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit in your life. So when you take these two passages together, I'm going to just kind of, if you could, keep John 14 in your mind, 14, 26, keep John 16, 12 through 15 in your mind. If we were to boil down these two passages, here's what we learned about this new teacher. Number one, he's your advocate. You've heard it said that he's the parakletos, right, in Greek, paraclete. What does that mean? You've probably heard it a million times, but in Greek, the word parakletos literally means one who is called alongside to help. 
Think about it in a judicial sense. If somebody comes alongside to help you, they're your lawyer or whatnot, they're there to advocate on your behalf in a legal way. Does that make sense? That's kind of the idea here, except that it's a bit more nuanced than that. The word parakletos also incorporates the idea of him being a counselor, a strengthener, a comforter. These are all words that come out of that same word. It's kind of a catch-all word. It's very pregnant with meaning. Comforter, he's our helper. Advisor, he's our advocate. Our intercessor, he's our ally. He's our friend. Now, that's a pretty big deal, isn't it? To have the Holy Spirit be those things to you. He is your best friend. He is the one coming right alongside of you to help you. And one of the ways that he wants to help you is to teach you all things. Number two, he's also sent in the name of Jesus. Now, remember what we said last week when we talked about the new kind of prayer life that he gives us. We pray in the name of Jesus. That's not just a magical formula that we tackle on the end of our prayers to make them legitimate in the eyes of God. That's not what that means at all. To pray in the name of Jesus, to be in the name of something, means that you're in the, you're in the same will as that person. You're following the same mission as that person, right? So last week we said, when you pray in the name of Jesus, that means your prayers are in line with the will of the Father. They're in line with the mission of the Father, okay? Well, guess what? The Holy Spirit is sent in the name of Jesus. What does that mean? That means that the work that he's going to do in your life is going to be in line with the will of the Father, and it's going to be in accordance with the mission of the Father. Does that make sense? Okay? So that's what that means. John 16, verse 13 said that he will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears. From who? Jesus. Um, he says the same thing in the very next verse, John 16, 14. We just read it. He will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will receive from me and he will make known to you. So one of the distinguishing characteristics of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit has come for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to glorify Jesus Christ in your life to help move you into his will and help you accomplish his mission. Does that make sense? Okay. Here's the third thing that he's going to do as the teacher. He's going to teach, remind, and guide into all truth. Now, first of all, one of the biggest objections I've heard over the years uh, to, to this passage applying to us is that they'll say, people will say, well, this makes sense that it would speak to the disciples this way because they're going to be the ones who are going to write the scriptures. I agree wholeheartedly with that fact. God has placed a very special, he placed a very special anointing on those early disciples. Why? Because they were the eyewitnesses of his life. They were the eyewitnesses of his resurrection. They were the ones that he specifically commissioned in Acts chapter 1 to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So yes, it makes sense to me that he would give them a very special anointing of the Holy Spirit to be able to carry out that purpose. And because they were the ones that were going to write down what you and I call our New Testament. So I don't believe that uh, even though I do believe that this passage applies to us, and I'm going to show you why in just a moment, I don't believe that God is giving commissions today for Christians to write new books of the Bible. Some people misunderstand me when I talk about God speaking today and they're like, well, are you writing a new book of the Bible? No, that's not it whatsoever. The Holy Spirit in your life and in my life is going to seek to teach you, remind you, and guide you into everything that's already been revealed, but he's going to apply it specifically to your life. 
That's the role that he has for you. So yes, they did get a, a special sense where they had this anointing, but I don't see it as Christians having the ability to write new, new books of the Bible. Now, having said that, there is a sense in which we as Christians, because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, that he continues to teach us. He continues to illuminate truth to us. And we'll talk about here, that here in, in just a quick moment. Another thing he'll do as a teacher, he tells what is yet to come. So not only is the Holy Spirit going to come and teach and remind and guide them and reiterate the things that Jesus has said to them, but it's also saying that the Spirit is going to reveal things that have not even happened yet. In other words, it could be, it could be things that they haven't heard as up until this point. Because remember, after Jesus dies, what, 40-something years later, John's on the Isle of Patmos and he receives visions about the last days. Well, that's things that have not come yet, right? Okay, so that's one aspect of what he's talking about with the Holy Spirit. It also could be that the Spirit is going to apply previously revealed truths to current situations that they didn't understand yet. Let me give you an example. All throughout the ministry of Jesus, it was clear that Jesus was accepting Gentiles by faith, was he not? He was accepting Gentiles by faith, even in his own ministry. Well, later on in the book of Acts, chapter 10, you've got the story of Cornelius, and everybody thinks it's about the conversion of Cornelius. It's really not. If you go back and you look at Acts chapter 10, it's really about the conversion of Peter. Because Peter still has these beliefs, this belief system in his heart and his life that Gentiles are somehow less than, that they haven't been accepted, at least not fully like the Jews were. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit doesn't give him brand new revelation. What the Spirit does is he gives him a vision and he reminds him of things that Jesus had already revealed. And he shows him, in this situation, Peter, what I taught you previously applies to this situation. And so what happens? The Holy Spirit pours out upon them. Peter's convinced. My goodness, if he does this right in front of us and he does the same thing to us that he did to to them that he did to us in Acts chapter 2, it must be that God's accepted the the Gentiles. See, they saw the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit. They followed the fingerprints of the Holy Spirit. And what it led to was the truth that they didn't need to see a distinguishment between both uh, Gentiles and Jews. Makes sense. So he's going to reveal things yet to come, either things they've never heard, or he's going to apply what's been revealed to a new situation that they didn't realize it applied to. Okay. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit as our teacher... This is what we're talking about right here. Again, I don't believe that he gives us the inspiration to write new scripture. I don't think that that's in the Bible. But these things still apply to you and I. The Holy Spirit is still our advocate. The Holy Spirit is still sent to us and he lives in us. Why? In the name of Jesus, his purpose is to guide you into God's will for your life. His purpose is to help you accomplish the mission of Jesus that he started 2,000 years ago. And... He is going to teach you, he's going to remind you, and he's going to guide you into all truth. And yes, sometimes he will show you things yet to come. Jeremiah chapter 33, if you remember this, this is the prophecy we're all working out of with this promise. He says, this is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law Watch carefully. This is the reminding. This is the teaching of the Holy Spirit right here. I will put my law where? 
in their minds, and I will write it where? On their heart. That's the teaching and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Now look at this one. Or that's the reminding and the guiding. Now look at the next part of the verse. I will be their God and they will be my people. And then here's the teaching aspect. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. The word know means is the word yada. In Hebrew, it means to be intimate with. It's the same word that uh, Adam used with Eve when he knew Eve and they had a child. Okay? In a spiritual sense, it's an intimacy. In other words, part of this new covenant that you and I now can look back on with 2020 vision because we live in it, part of this new covenant is an intimacy with the Holy Spirit, an intimacy with the Father. And in that intimacy, God is going to effectual, affect thoughts in our minds, motivations in our hearts, teach us things that we can't learn anywhere else. That is part of what it means to have this new covenant. So there is an anointing that each of us have been given. And that anointing is the Holy Spirit. I know that we don't use that terminology a lot today because the charismatic movement uses the word anointing quite a bit. But it's actually a very biblical term. Let me show you this scripture right here. 1 John chapter 2, 26-27. This is how that prophecy plays out in the Christian church. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Now stop right there. John is old, he's an elder, he's a teacher, he's a preacher. And let me tell you what's starting to happen to the church at the end of the first century. There is a, a heresy that's coming into the church known as Gnosticism. Now this is proto-Gnosticism. It's not even fully what we consider Gnosticism yet. But here's the basic tenets of the teaching. The body is bad, inherently bad. Anything physical is inherently bad. Anything spiritual is inherently good. When Jesus died on the cross... He, his spirit was the spirit of Jesus or spirit of Christ. He was in a human body. The body meant nothing. Jesus was not raised from the dead. And what that means is, is that you and I, since the body's bad anyway, it really doesn't matter what you and I do in our body because what matters is our spirit. So if I believe in Jesus, my spirit's fine, gets to go to heaven, but in my body, I get to live it up and do whatever I want to. How's that for a teaching in church? Okay. Now, that's what he's combating against. Now, listen to what he says. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing. What is the anointing? That is the presence of the Holy Spirit active, alive, and living inside of you. This, this presence who will teach you, guide you, and lead you into all truth. The anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you don't need anybody to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Now, what does that mean? You don't need anybody to teach you. Is he saying in this text here that uh, uh, because you have the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you don't need Bible teachers no more? Is that what he's saying? No. Why? Because John's a teacher, right? John's a teacher. John's teaching them through this. Uh, Paul is a teacher. Peter's a teacher. The rest of the disciples were teachers. Jesus was a teacher. It's not saying that we don't need biblical teachers. In the book of Ephesians, it says that God has anointed men in the church to be teachers and pastors and, and preachers. So, no, he's not saying that at all. What is he saying? John is saying that when it comes to this heresy... 
when it comes to this false teaching, you don't even need me to write to you because you know because of that anointing that lives inside of you that when you hear somebody say that Jesus was never raised, do you really need somebody to teach you that? Church, let me ask you a question. If a person got up here and said, I I am convinced, I am convinced that there was no resurrection, do you need Tim Brown up here to teach you that that is false? Not if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Because if you've got God's Holy Spirit inside of you, when the moment you heard that come out of that person's mouth, you have a big red light going off inside of you. A big old red light. And you have the witness of the Holy Spirit inside of you saying, that's not truth. That's false. That's what he's talking about. There's a deeper sense. Listen, there is only so far I can take you as a preacher and a teacher. You realize that? There is only so far that I, a Tim Brown, a human, very imperfect preacher and teacher can take you. There are things that you can only learn through an intimate relationship with God's Holy Spirit. Because God will meet you in ways that you can't miss, and He will teach you things you didn't even know you needed to know. (laughs) Right? When you learn how to follow Him, because He knows how to meet you exactly where you are. He knows how to show you what He wants to show you, and he 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 knows how to answer questions that you're not even asking yet in your life. Jesus, when He taught on the earth, he sometimes would teach in parables. And his disciples came to him one time and he says, why do you do that? Why do you purposely make things really, really hard to understand for some people and not for others? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 13. He says in verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they don't see, hearing they do not hear and understand. See, when you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you've got a different set of eyes and ears that you've got to learn how to use. Now, these are easy to use. We've been using them our whole lives. But there's a different set of eyes and ears that you are called to learn how to use when you're following the Holy Spirit. And either you get it or you don't get it. If you don't get it, you pursue Jesus for it, right? But he says here, I show them things, they see with their eyes, but they're not perceiving, they're not getting it, they're not understanding. Why? Because they don't have that capacity yet. The Spirit has not revealed that to them yet. Um, Jesus says the reason why I speak to them is because they don't have this understanding, meaning they don't fully grasp the deep spiritual truth that he's trying to tell them. But the disciples, verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. There is a blessing that comes from allowing the Holy Spirit to be your teacher and to be your guide because over time, He will begin to open your eyes to things that you never saw before. He will begin to open your ears to things that you have never heard or perceived before. You will gain certain flashes of insight. It will come into your mind like thoughts, but it won't be your thoughts. It will be the the Spirit giving you thoughts. You will have flashes of understanding that will come from out of nowhere. You'll have moments of understanding where you're like, where did that even come from? And you'll realize it was nothing you ever studied, but it was an insight that the Spirit placed inside of you because He knew that was what you needed at the time. That is what it means to have the eyes and the ears of the Spirit. I was having a conversation with David Miller not too long ago, and David, uh, we were talking about prayer, remember that? And uh, David said, you know, it's funny, when I look at the prayers of Paul, and if I quote you wrong, just kick me after church, okay? But to the effect, have you noticed the difference in the way that we pray and the way that Paul prayed? Is that the gist of it, okay? 
Because when we pray, and I'm not faulting how we pray, but we kind of talked about this last week with prayer. We pray about all kinds of stuff, and typically it's about our needs, right? Our felt needs. Please heal this. Please do that for me. Please do this for them. Nothing wrong with letting God know your needs. But when you hear the apostles pray, when you hear the disciples pray, listen to what they're praying for. Ephesians chapter 1, 16 through 19, Paul says this, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may heal everybody on your prayer list. Is that what he said? Again, I'm not knocking the prayer list. Please don't misunderstand me. But I'm thinking maybe we need to start praying for this a little more. Look at what he says. I pray that the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He says, I pray that the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you, I pray that he'll speak to you. I pray he'll give you wisdom so that you know how to live life in this world. I pray that he will give you revelation to show you more about himself, to show you more about the future. I pray that he'll do that so that you will know him better. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. In other words, I pray that God opens up your eyes enough so that you see your life in the grand panorama of God's plan and you see, because God's revealed it to you, how you fit in God's will, how you fit in God's purpose, how you fit in God's plan. And so that because of that, because you have that sight, you walk around with that hope anchored inside of you. It doesn't matter what anybody else says or or does to you from that point on. Why? Because you're a man on a mission. You're a woman on a mission. You have intimacy with the Holy Spirit. You're now walking in the miraculous. You're now walking in the supernatural. You don't have to have anybody teach you anything from the standpoint of knowing God's will because you've already been shown it by the Spirit. He's praying for the anointing. He's praying for the Spirit's illuminating work in the life of the believers. And he prays that God will open their eyes more and more. And look at this. I'm going to read one more verse to you. There's so many we could read. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 13, I want to show you how deep this goes. Look at this. For to us Christians, you and I, God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among people knows the thoughts of a person except the Spirit of the person that's in him? Now that makes sense, right? Ben, nobody knows Ben better than Ben, right? You have your spirit. Your spirit knows your thoughts. It's seen everything you've ever done inside of you. Nobody knows Ben like your spirit, right? Keep reading. So also the thoughts of God, nobody knows except the spirit of God. Would it make sense that nobody knows God better than his own spirit who lives inside of him? Okay. So also the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. Now, verse 12, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So that, we may know the things freely given to us by God. In other words, there's a lot of things that have been freely given to you by God that is only revealed if you start practicing your 95-5 time. See, that's why we've been doing so many of the 95-5 time sessions. We did 17 sessions, by the way. We've stopped for a season. We're going to retool it, start it back up in a few months if you want to be a part of that. But we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. 
The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit, but considers them foolish or stupid and can't understand them because they are not, they are only discerned through the Holy Spirit. Mm. Church, if you've got the mind of God, the mind of Christ on the inside of you, that means that not all your thoughts are your thoughts. He is going to teach you. He is going to guide you. He is going to reveal things to you the more you become aware of him inside of your life. Church, don't ever slide into a state of apathy and think that you know all there is to know about this book. I will promise you, the more you learn in this, the more from this book, the more you will realize you don't know and that you need the Holy Spirit to guide you in the things that he wants you to see in your life. The operation of the Holy Spirit in your life is absolutely necessary for you to fully understand and grasp the immensity of these tremendous things that Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross. It takes the Spirit of God inside of you to be thrilled and gripped with the excitement that you need for, to, to, to see what God has done to fulfill his promise to you and in you. I want to give you one example of how this has played out in my life. And this is just one example uh, I shared with the discipleship group. Um, uh, Roxanne, I know you probably heard this story and uh, several of you, uh, you may have heard this story. But um, one of the things that I teach is biblical meditation when we have these times. Biblical meditation is not like yoga, med- you know, um, it's nothing like that at all. Eastern meditation wants you to empty your mind so you can focus on nothing but the universe. Biblical meditation wants you to empty your mind so you can focus on nothing but the presence of God. You see the difference? Okay. Now, biblical meditation, the word meditate in Hebrew means to chew the cud. So when you're taking the Bible and you're meditating on it, you're just taking a section of Scripture and you're reading it out loud to yourself over and over again. Right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the the Word of God. So it's a faith-building exercise. You're allowing yourself to hear the truth of God's Word coming back to you. But what happens is, is that when you get in that 95-5 time, you get in that quiet time, sometimes you will hear the Spirit speak between the lines. And you will actually hear the Holy Spirit beginning to teach you on the inside something that He wants you to see. So let me give you an example of this. So one day, uh, this was in the former place where I was serving, um, I was going through a very, very difficult time on the inside, and I had no peace. This was when I really, I, I've always dealt with anxiety and stuff like that, but, but, but this was a time in my life, my wife can uh, attest to this, I was having panic attacks all the time. And so one morning I got up and I go into the chapel and I, I did my daily practice, which is what I call the 95-5 time. I just get alone, get quiet, get before the Lord, sit in his presence and listen. And sometimes he'll speak, sometimes he won't. But I was sitting there and I said, okay, Lord, is there anything that you would like to share with me that will help me with this stuff that I've got going on the inside. And I heard the Spirit speak. And he said, my peace I give to you. That was it. Now I've learned over the years that the Holy Spirit will give you a little tidbit like that because he wants you to take that and run with it. Okay, I call it the thread. He puts out the thread, you pull the thread. You pull the thread, he unravels the meaning. So I knew that that was in John, I think it was 15 or so. And so I went over there And I looked up the passage, and it was in the midst of all these verses that you and I have been discussing for the last several weeks. It comes out of John 14, 26 to 27. 
And here's the passage. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So I was like, okay, God, you want me to focus on peace. Okay, got it. Feel peace. How many of you know that doesn't work well? All right. You know, you see something that you know the Bible's telling you to do, and you try to muster up whatever you got on the inside to make it happen. I still didn't feel peace. So I started meditating over the passage, just reading it out loud. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now, I do not give to you as the world gives. I do not give to you as the world lives. And just repeating it over and over and just listening. Sometimes I'll stop and listen. Start saying it again. Stop, listen, say it again. And then finally, I got to where it says, Peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. And it was like the Holy Spirit said, Now stop there for a moment. And I heard a question. How does the world like to offer peace? And then I have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. I'm like, that's a good question. That's a good question. How does the world like to offer peace? Well, you tell me. How does the world like to offer peace? Pretend we're in Bible class. Go ahead and tell me some answers. Financial security. Financial peace. (laughs) All right? If you got that, you got peace. So you work your tail off your whole life and, and live in stress your whole life to save up a little bit of peace at the end of your life, right? What else does the world offer us to feel peace? Protection. Protection. Okay. Anything else? Relevance. Relevance. Popularity. Social media. You know, likes and all this kind of jazz, whatever. Uh, There's all kinds of things that the world says that if you get this, if you buy that, if you do this, or if you don't do that, then you'll have some peace. Well, how many know that that doesn't work? Okay. So I'm sitting there going, okay, So the world offers peace in all kinds of crazy ways, and it doesn't work, Lord. What are you saying? And then I heard the Spirit say, now go back and read it again. So I went back and I read it again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And I was just stopped. And then I had a flood of thoughts that came into my mind. Do you remember when Jesus was on the boat and the storm was raging? And the disciples who are master fishermen are scared to death. And where's Jesus? He's sleeping like a baby down at the, at the bottom of the boat. He's not scared one bit. And the Spirit then spoke to me and he said, that's the peace I'm leaving with you. But I still didn't really understand what he meant by that. Well, okay, but how do I get it? Because in the world's way of peace, I have to do this and this and this and not do this and this and that and da 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 to get the peace. I want that peace, whatever peace, whatever Gave him that peace I wanted to. And then it dawned on me. It was like a light bulb that went off. It was not a voice or anything like that. It's his peace. Do you realize that? It's his peace that you get to experience as you trust that he is really there inside of you, giving you what you need. And he will not only allow his thoughts to come into your mind, He will also allow his emotions and his faith to come into your body. Now that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But what I've learned over the years is that if I want to experience his peace, it's a supernatural peace. I have to get Tim Brown out of the way so Jesus Christ can come up and start living his life through me. And I learned that when I do that, guess what happens? I start feeling peace. It doesn't start with emotions. It starts with faith. Emotions follow faith. Amen? Okay. Let's pray. Our Father,
want to thank you so much for this amazing phenomenon of a teaching spirit inside of us. We can't get over the joy and the thrill and the awe that grips our spirit when we think of this incredible teacher, the Spirit of God himself, the one who knows the mind of Christ, indwelling us and willing to walk with us and teach us step by step as we go along if we listen to him as our teacher. And so, Father, I pray that he'll teach us, that he'll remind us, that he'll guide us into all things, and that he will show us things still yet to come. And, Lord, make us willing to hear, having eyes to see and ears to hear. Let it penetrate to the depth of spirit by which we shall understand and grasp these amazing riches in Christ Jesus. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Okay, I've given you two handouts for you to take home. One is on how to read and study the Bible. Take that and use it as you will. The other is how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Take that and use it as you will. And uh, if you need to respond to the invitation for anything, elders, if you would, you can go ahead and stand on the outer edges. Come forward as we stand and sing.